Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. Join me again. I have the man behind Stoke Shed, Bobby Ross. Bobby, come welcome. Hey. <laughs> yeah, Sounds so like we were gonna say, come on over. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know what I was gonna say. Um, I messed that up. Bobby Ross, come on down. <laughs> Excited to be here, Bob. Well, it's, it has been like it hasn't been Bob forever. It's been Drew Carey for like a decade. It's not the same. No, the price is wrong. You know, he'll never be. He'll never be Bob Barker. Yeah. I don't right. care how skinny your microphone is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, you know, if you're just joining us for the first time on this special episode, uh, what we're doing is replacing providing commentary to my book, Ultra OCR Man from Special Force Soldier to Regular Setting Professional Obstacle Course Racer. You don't need to listen to the book or read the book to enjoy this podcast, but it will be significantly better if you do uh, listen to the book on audiobook or read it or read it on digital. Um, they each kind of have their advantages, right? The digital book actually has color pictures and links embedded into it. So if you buy the digital, you can actually like, you know, during some of the other later chapters when I do like OCR America, there's actually a link at the end and you can click and listen to the podcast I did with Overcome and Run that was recorded the day of the event. So you can like read my opinion on it and then kind of go back and listen to what I had to say the day of the actual event. You're um, a multimedia master, man. Yeah, I'm so good. <laughs> the audiobook's nice because you can listen to it on a run um and then the hard copy is nice because i like hard copy stuff i still buy a lot of hard copy books and, who uh who narrated the audiobook i got a professional narrator to do it bottom line was i started to i did one of my own books and tried to put it on audible and their standards were higher than what i produce and i decided that it would take me a lot of time and effort so i'll just pay someone so yeah, name that's fair yeah Name's Paul Stefano, no relation to Mike Stefano from Obstacle Running Adventures. I need to go listen to it. I, f- I feel like there's no possible way to listen to somebody else read your book. It's super weird the first time I listen to it because he's saying my own words back to me. And I know what he's going to say next because I wrote the book. And it was like, it was very, it was unnerving. It was like someone else was living my life. So, but you, after like a chapter, I got used to it and then it was fine. Does he have a cool voice at least? Uh, I mean... Sure. I, he's got a voice. <laughs> he's got a voice. He's a professional, he's a professional like, audio guy. So I'll send, I'll send you a, a clip and you can, I you can hear judge. It. You should just insert it right here in the edit. I know how much Evan loves to edit you guys. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's like, jump back in. So we finished off last time at the end of chapter four and going into chapter five. So chapter four ended, we were talking about conventional force operations, basically my time in the 101st. And, you know, kind of listening back to the podcast, I, I left out a bunch of stuff again, because it's like your life story. So you can't include anything, everything in there. So I left out a bunch of the military training courses that I went to uh, that people a lot of times talk about like airborne school, where you learn to jump out of a plane five times, done it like a thousand feet. So it's super low and essentially your parachute opens right away. So you, there's like no free fall. It's just a static line, very low altitude because the idea is to get a lot of people on the ground really fast. So you don't get killed. Jumping from one plane to another. You no. said five times. You jump out from one. Yeah. Next one. <laughs> nah, you, it's a it's a week, and all you do is jump out of a plane the entire week. <laughs> you do once it one one or two a day. Um, I left out air assault school, which again similar, but it's with helicopters and rappelling. So you rappel out of a helicopter and or learn how to rappel and learn how to it's called sling load stuff. So essentially, you learn how to attach, um, you know, artillery cannons and water buffaloes and bags to the bottom of helicopters which is actually fairly complicated because it sounds like the plot to operation dumbo drop yeah 
That, so th- that, those guys were either Air Assault or Pathfinder. Um, so this is really accurate. It's a really yeah. accurate movie. And then Pathfinder, uh, another school I went to is, that's like setting up drop zones. So it's the person on the ground who's calling in the airborne operation. Those are all good schools. You get a little medal on your uniform to show your friends and stuff like that. But honestly, the best schools are in special operations. And most of them, there's no patch and there's no medal. It's just a piece of training you go to. And it's something you put into your, your knowledge bank for future operations. And it's um, just an awesome experience. But, you know, before we start getting into some of Bobby's questions, you know, I think most people, when they hear special operations, they th- are like, oh, well, the, the threat level has to be, must be higher in special operations than it is in conventional operations. And it's kind of weird because there's not necessarily, right? So my time in the 101st was during the height of the Iraq war. Um, so kind of like 05, 06, and 07, 08. So I, most of like my really good war stories are from the conventional forces, and I had a lot more autonomy, actually. Uh, there was just less rules based off when I, when I arrived in theater during the war. And for special operations, I, my only deployment to Iraq with them was 2011, so there's a lot more rules. We were essentially shutting things down. Uh, so most of my stories are not, actually not very good. I was advising uh, brigade-level leadership and giving them you know, tips and techniques for making themselves more effective. What I used to tell my wife, which, which she doesn't like hearing, was I was like, well, you know, my chances of dying or getting maimed horribly were a lot higher in conventional forces because you're driving around the roads. I was like, my chance of being captured and tortured is significantly higher in SF because I'm, I'm by myself a lot or it's just me and one other person. So, Wait, so you were by yourself a lot during the school or like actually – because I, I read it's like 12-man teams, right? Yeah. Did you, so, did you operate autonomously a lot? So um, – Yes and no. So, you know, in, in Iraq, you're still moving in a fairly decent-sized element. Some of the other uh, places that are considered technically combat zones by the military are not – I think they're safe, right? So, like, Kuwait is considered a combat zone. Qatar is considered a combat zone. Uh, Lebanon is considered a combat zone. Again, technically combat zones. And in some of those cities, I was walking around or driving around uh, either by myself or with one other person. And, you know, theoretically, if someone, if you didn't vary your movements and someone wanted to capture an American, it's a pretty good, pretty good enticing target. I feel like if you could choose any American, a Green Beret is not the one that I would choose. That's a, that's a really, it's true. <laughs> you do not, because um, we're, we're not going to go down without a fight. Probably not going <laughs> to, you know, you're probably not going to make it out of the point of capture unless you come in with overwhelming force initially. So. Or die. Yeah, yeah. You're cool, Evan. Thanks, Bobby. <laughs> hey, uh, talk about dive school. Uh, dive school. Yeah, um, because I'm a triath- I used to do triathlons. When I showed up to a team, they were like, you should go to dive school. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. And they were like, well, you're in the Army, so that's an order. You don't really have a choice. And I was like, okay. I don't mind swimming. I hate breath hold um, stuff, right? So dive school is a lot similar to free diving. So it's prolonged breath hold, and you got to do things underwater. And I just don't like that. And uh, running out of oxygen is no fun. And you, as you read in the book, you know, I, I pushed myself to the point of complete unconsciousness twice underwater. And uh, it is actually, when you actually go out, it's actually not bad. Um, but, you know, there's a moment you kind of like panic as it gets closer to you blacking out. And then right before you black out, you're like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm definitely going to make it. And then <laughs> the lights just go out <laughs> and you're unconscious at the bottom of the pool and you have to get rescued. And what's kind of interesting is, right, when you black out, 
you think like, oh, well, then all the water goes rushing into your lungs. Actually, like because like the mammalian dive reflex or something and there's water on your face, like it signals your body to not breathe in. So they don't they don't like pump your lungs when you get when they pull you out. They just pull you out and they put some oxygen on you. And you just start breathing again. It's crazy. Oh, that's crazy. You're not going to just like suck a bunch of air in or suck a bunch of water in. That's Correct. just not how your, your brain, uh, yeah. not how your brain does that. Yeah. This is like endlessly fascinating to me because the way that you frame it in the book is talking about uh, mentally overriding the, I guess, instinctive or physical reactions that you have when you are near your actual physical limits. And I think a lot of us, think about and idealize the idea of a person who pushes past their physical limits, but very few of us get there. Uh, I mean, like notwithstanding like twice in a row in the same school. I think that's fascinating. Like, I love that you talk about that. I'm proud that I pushed that hard, but I'm also, I'm not proud of the outcome, right? The army is very outcome oriented and right. I failed that school. So that's like, to me, that's like a permanent black mark on my like my resume. You know, um, again, no one cares about your own results more than you, right? Just like race results. Personally, I'm I'm not very pleased with that, but like no one in my no one in my coworkers care. Like that's not something that comes up in conversation. Right. I love the when you say outcome orientation. We we talk a whole lot in culture about well, you you gave it your best. That's what counts. That's actually not necessarily what counted, right? Like what counted no. is whether or not you achieved your goal. Right. The, the army is very, it's very outcome oriented. It's like, well, did you, did you pass? No. Then who cares? I don't care what your excuse is, right? Like, oh, I've got, you know, whatever your personal problem is that's giving you issues. Like no one cares. I was surrounded by that, that world and those people so much. I thought that's the way everyone behaved. And like, as I started, uh, getting into in circles like obstacle course racing that we're not necessarily all military. It was an, a cultural adjustment for me coming like, you know, I'm still in the military, but being exposed to uh, different groups of people because we're just so outcome oriented. It doesn't like no one, n- no one cares exactly. Like if you're overweight and you push yourself to a new PR, but still fail, like no one cares. All, all they care about is that right. you failed. And the regular world is not like, like, like that. I think it is. I just think that our cultural circles aren't like that. I think that maybe it starts with, uh, with schools. I don't know. Like, like that's interesting to me because I find myself thinking that same way too. I'm not really so much worried about the amount of effort I do something. I choose the tasks that I do very carefully because what I want is to succeed, right? Like, I, I feel like that's the way businesses work. Right. But it cares that, like, you know, Wells Fargo does their best if they go under. No. Because you don't choose a bank based on whether or not they put out a good effort. I think that's healthy for an athlete is all I'm saying. Yeah. You know, and, and we touched on a little bit last chap, uh, last podcast, and we'll touch on it again. On the, I know at the last chapter of the book, but it was all, it's also very kind of like everything is your fault. The, you know, whatever the outcome is, it's your fault. If it's good, it's your fault. If it's bad, it's your fault. Kind of like extreme ownership of how things are, are, are panning out. Again, I think a lot of that stems from combat where if, if you get into a bad situation, you can't be like, oh, well, this is, this one's not my fault. They, there's, there's too many enemy. They set up an IED. It's really not convenient. I slept, <laughs> you know, like, it, 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 that's not okay. So I'm dead, but it wasn't my fault. Right. You know, get another go. Yeah. A lot of the political and cultural stuff that's been going on in the past year, it felt very weird to me, very foreign to me. And 
I remember like scrolling through Facebook. I was like, it didn't feel like anyone was thinking the same as me until I went into, there's like a, there's like a special forces team room, like a Facebook group. And I went in there and that was the only place where I felt like that was the only place, the special forces Facebook group where I felt like people understood the way I was thinking. It was just weird. You get surrounded by your own type of people and you forget that other people think differently. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the culture is, is, I mean, like you're completely immersed in it. Yes. Yeah. I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but like, let's put a pin in that because like, I, I wonder, I want to ask if that informed the way you thought about strength and speed when you started it. So hold on to that. Okay. But one of the things I didn't talk about in the book is you've been to my, you've been to the guest room, right? Which is my military. That's where I keep all my military memorabilia. Yeah, man, that's where I sleep and read all your comic books. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> mostly the second one. <laughs> I've got a lot of stuff I brought back from deployments uh, that we were allowed to bring back, and uh, some training stuff again that I don't I don't mention in the book just because it's it get getting to too too much nuance. But like, you know, one of my training things for our special operations, I got to ride an AC one thirty, the plane with the big one hundred and five millimeter cannon sticking out the side from like Call of Duty that used yeah. to blow up the bad guys, right? I got to ride in one of those. I got to call for fire from one of those, you know, fast roping at night and under night vision and fast roping out of uh, Osprey V22. It's like a VTOL vertical takeoff and landing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So stuff like that. You know, like I said in the beginning of this episode, a lot of the schools and training we go to, it's just, you don't get a badge or anything for it. It's just something you go to. And sometimes you get like an actual certification. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's just an experience you file away. But the kind of the cool thing about special operations is it's a lot of it's vendor training, right? So if, if someone has a skill out there and you can justify how it relates to your job, you can go, right? So you want to go to race car driving because that teaches you how to drive aggressively in a combat situation? Approved. And there's money, right? Approved. You want to go learn how to shoot from the guys who are the best shooters in the world? Approved. But I, I never did any specific kind of offensive driving stuff, but guys on my team would go and then they would come back and they'd, they'd pass that knowledge on to the rest of the team. So you also get a lot of secondary um, training benefits that way. Oh yeah. Dude, that's great because we do something that's a real disservice, uh, I think, in the way that uh, we're, we're getting back to school. But I think in the way that colleges work is we look at degrees rather than the skills that people have picked up. Yeah, it's, a, it's an imperfect system, but like, it sounds like the way you're doing it is, is the right way. The whole point is the skill and the ability to implement that in a real life situation, rather than whether or not you got a degree and can say, oh, I can do this. But in actuality, you get onto a job and you can't actually do it. Right. It's all about demonstration. So I think, I think the regular, the big army is very much um, certification oriented and the special operations a lot more skill oriented. And I think one of the things that always surprises people is, right, special forces guys are not the best at stuff. They're, like, pretty good at a lot of different things, like above average at a lot of different things, right? So they're, you know, we bring in outside people to train us to shoot because there are people who all they do is shoot. We bring in outside people to train us to drive because all they do is drive. We bring in outside people to, you know, skill X, skill Y, skill Z. And, you know, and I think I, again, getting ahead of ourselves when you transition to obstacle course racing, right? Like I take the same approach where if I want to get faster as an OCR athlete, I'm going to run with runners. I'm going to obstacle train with ninjas and I'm going to strength train with weightlifters, right? Because they're pushing you with their own specialty, say, or just like a mixed martial artist trains, right? He has like a, a grappling coach, a 
striking coach, a kind of a MMA well-rounded coach, a conditioning coach, right? Right. So, same concept. Dude, just, that's awesome. Like most of us don't get that sort of community in our lives. You, you actually talked about it in the chapter. Uh, these are like your words. You said for the next several years of my life, uh, talking about special operations, like I, I worked with people who would not only sacrifice their life for others, but it was viewed uh, as the only acceptable outcome of the situation dictated. Like that's, yeah. that's rad. Like that, that brings everyone up in every way, every day, when you know that you can count on those people to hold themselves to a standard that was that high. Right. Yeah. If you were in a combat situation or stressful situation and someone essentially pussies out on something, right? Like that's like a permanent black mark on that guy. And that those, those stories make their way around the team room and down the hallway and that guy gets a reputation and all of a sudden he's someone that's known as like, you can't rely on this guy. Like yeah. you don't want, you don't want that dude on your team because if things get bad, he's not coming to save you. So, yeah, there, there was one other story. Now, now I'm like looking through the book right now that I, I really enjoyed. Oh, it was the treadmill marathon. Yeah. With Tracy Hutt. Nope. That was the boxer. It was yeah, someone else. Yeah. Jafani. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. Cause that, was your your second treadmill marathon yeah I, I i vowed i would never do another one and um <laughs> made friends with another soldier on post uh kate and she was training for a marathon like all on a treadmill right so every training run was on a treadmill really? uh she had to do a 22 mile or a 20 mile i can't remember what it was i was like oh you, you want some company and she's like sure because it's gonna be boring boring as f you know right so I did the math and I was like, well, her 22 mile pace is right around my uh, marathon pacer. So I was like, well, I'll just run next to you. And that one actually wasn't bad because it was, it was air conditioned and I had company and we didn't really talk that much, but mostly just kind of uh, <laughs> stayed in our own world. But it was just like having someone else suffering next to you. It's just kind of like a nice touch. Yeah. And, and then I'm not sure if I mentioned in the book, but I did a half marathon on base the day after. I don't know if I mentioned that. No. No, I think I left. Yeah, whatever. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Why? So the, her training run was on Saturday, and they were doing a half marathon on the base we were on on Sunday. Oh, it's okay. Just, I thought it's just, it was just like a thing you did. No, it just happened to line up. I think I came in third for the half. The competition field wasn't too deep, but <laughs> so I still did. All right. I still did pretty good. Last episode, you were asking me about specific people, and you know, one of the guys—I'll just use his first name, Joe. Um, he was on my team, so he's one I had like a lot of personal interaction with. Was deployed to Iraq for literally half of the war, right? So he had five years of deployment time in Iraq, and he's not sitting behind a desk. He's one of those guys who's going, he's going out like every day. Just had the utmost respect for him. I still think he's the, he was the smartest guy on the team. I can't remember if he had his bachelor's or was getting his bachelor's, but he's the type of guy who reads news stories like nonstop and just had a ton of experience um, in special operations, right? Like, yeah. To me, like guys like him are like they take what I've done and just completely put me to shame, right? I just pale in comparison. And what's crazy about him, you follow some of my Instagram posts, he actually married another um, female in the military who was killed in Syria uh, in 19. Mm. So what was crazy about him was like, I mean, no one, to me, like no one's given more to the country than him. And he ends up losing his wife, um, you know essentially as he was getting ready to retire and it was just like and her her story is super tragic too i think she she was diagnosed with cancer but she couldn't she couldn't get the job she wanted because she had cancer but they she was still eligible to deploy so they deployed her 
and she gets blown up in Syria. And uh, it's just, uh, just heartbreaking to, to see that. And that's the worst. That's literally the worst. Yeah. So, and then it's kind of touching back on some of the other things we said on the last episode. Um, just wanted to clarify, there's nothing wrong with getting help if people are having mental issues or problems. Um, I don't think we came, I don't think we came across that way, but you know, saying you need help, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think um, following the path where ultimately leads to suicide. I have a lot of, like I said, un- unempathetic towards that. Yeah. And I like, and the sorts of like personalities that are drawn to these kinds of like extreme things, like, like ultra OCR and then like, you know, like high level, like, like special forces, like that, that's the kind of stuff where like the people can have a hard time, like acknowledging, you know, that, that they may have some, uh, like a problem. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you just kind of like, like push, like push forward, just like, like kind of dig into it. And then like, you know, before you know it, like things are Things are kind of past your ability to kind of push through it. Yeah, I mean, there's out of the bottom of a pool. <laughs> there's a there's a very real like you don't show weakness. You know, also with kind of comparing um, today's social media culture with kind of the military, right? Like in the military, you 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 try to never show weakness. That's like that's like what you do, right? You just because no one like if you show weakness and you're on a twelve man team, they're not like. Oh, way to way to have the courage to admit that. Like no one says that. It's like you need to fix yourself so you're not weak uh, mentally or physically, whatever the case may be. <laughs> because there's only twelve of us, so you got to pull your weight. Period. You know. Again, yeah. very outcome outcome based. Like again, no one cares where you started at. They just want. They just care where you at. You're at right now. Does so. that does that make a difference in whether or not you're able to be honest with yourself about stuff like that, though? Or honest with one another. Like, is there room for that? Yeah, I, I, there's absolutely room for honesty with one another. It probably even more so because, you know, like most type A groups of males, they like to pick on each other's weaknesses, right? So yeah, you'll probably find that, it, like, they'll probably make fun of you first um, when, when, like, right, if, if you're going to the range and you're, you have the worst, uh, you know, the, the widest spread of bullet holes in your target, they're going to make fun of you, right? They're going to let you know that you're, you're a crappy shooter. And they're going to be like, make sure, he, make sure he's number one, man, when he goes into the room so he doesn't shoot one of us, right? Like, <laughs> and not number four, man, who's coming into a room full of people. They call you Evan Confetti, man. Yeah. Looks like a party over there. So that with, you know, with, the, with the military, especially as a leader, I tried, and you're not going to be, but I, you try to be the best at everything because you don't want, as a leader, you don't want to, you don't want to be coming in last, whether it's on a run or a ruck march or at the shooting range or doing driving training, whatever it is, you don't want to be near the bottom. You want to be preferably at the top or near the top. So, um, you know, that people have something to strive for jumping ahead. That's where I take a lot of my OCR stuff, right? Like, am I the best podcaster? I don't know. I try to be, uh, am I the best writer? I don't know. I try to be, am I the best endurance athlete? I don't know. I try to be right. Like I try to do, I try to do all those things at a pretty high level, even though I may not be the, at the number one spot, I'm trying to get up there. Well-rounded approach type thing. Yeah. I think that covers most of the special operations. I actually left out a lot of the stories in there because some of the stuff we do, um, and it's going to sound sexy, but it's not. Some of the stuff is like, <laughs> right, there, there are certain things that are classified, and I, I didn't want to get start getting into issues in my book. So I gloss over a lot of the operational stuff just to avoid any possible leaks or getting into trouble. Like I said, most of my really good stories are in the uh, conventional force. Um, some of the stuff we did and some of the things I, I know were, were cool from special operations. Honestly, most like 
most classified information is really boring. It's so boring. It's <laughs> right. There's like a secret internet. Boring. So boring. <laughs> There's a top secret this internet. Like 1996. Yeah, it is a top secret internet. Also boring. They're they're can't even play flash games. They're extremely boring things. It sounds a lot sexier than it is uh, with a lot of this stuff. And the military has a way of sucking the fun out of almost everything. So <laughs> you, you see a couple of military guys coming over to OCR, but a lot of military guys don't run races because the army made running not fun because they were like, all right, we're going to run until someone throws up. And you're like, this is a terrible way to get better at running, but okay. Um, <laughs> same thing, right? They, we do obstacle courses and they're not fun because you're doing flutter kicks and pushups between obstacles. Oh man. It's usually not timed. The SEALs, the one they do for the SEALs is timed and it's a competitive event for the, most of the army ones at the schools you go to, which pass fails. It's like, do this obstacle. All right, now do this obstacle. All right, do push-ups now. That doesn't count for anything. All right, now do this obstacle. So, <laughs> no, it this, this is for nothing, literally. This I is literally for nothing. <laughs> and if, if you've been in the army a while, you eventually figure out they're just going to make you do push-ups until you start struggling and, and are tired. And then you just pretend to get tired earlier. So <laughs> spoiler, spoiler for anyone going to army schools. <laughs> is there a part of you that chooses not to do something unless you're certain you can do it at a very high level? No. Like, am, am I going to hate playing Settlers of Catan with you? Oh, I hate board games. <laughs> it's because you're not good at it. I found some evidence not good yeah. at. Like we talked about last time, you know, like I've quit things in the past. It's, it's like I've made a decision on doing something. I'm going to follow through. And I, I typically, you know, I think there's a difference between quitting mid-race and mid-season or, you know, doing, finishing your race and then being like, I'm never doing that again because that, right. that was not fun, right? I think there's a big difference between the, the two. Typically don't walk off of things in the middle of, of an event, right? Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to quit an army school if I, if I say I'm going to go to it. I'm not going to drop out of a race until I'm essentially medically disqualified. That sandstorm actually knocks you off the course. A little bit, yeah. Like, <laughs> Let's finish up the special operations there. As a junior officer in special operations, you do a lot of awesome stuff. As you get into the higher ranks, it's a lot less cool. You do a lot more sitting behind a desk, which is what I do now. Not to go too dark on us again, but the, you know, those, that, that very first deployment in the conventional force compared to some of the other deployments, right? And the other deployments, it was more like we're fighting this generic enemy, right? Or there's this generic bad guy, or sometimes we have like a, we call him baseball card, uh, which kind of has his bio and stuff. Yeah. On that first deployment, like I, I knew who we were trying to capture kill by name. I knew, I knew their families. I'd been to their house, right? I'd been collecting pictures of them um, because we were trying to capture and kill these dudes. So it was very personal. You know, like in hindsight, looking back, it seems, it seems like a really unhealthy way uh, to live your life for a while. Kind of what we had to do at the time. You know, but like, but we were like, I, I mean, there were, you know, by name list, like these people, I, I've met some of them that like we were legitimately trying to kill on a daily basis. And that's what I spent most of my time thinking about. It's just probably not healthy uh, for long term. Um, I don't think like that anymore. So uh, move past <laughs> I that. Not. I moved past that. That's a, but it seems like, you know, like kind of looking back at myself from, what was it? Ugh, almost 14 years ago, 15 years ago. It just seems, uh, that seems like it would be really unhealthy to have that mindset for uh, years as opposed to like a single year. So. Right. You, you did that for 
for quite a while. You had what was it? Uh, three deployments before. So, so I did three to Iraq, and then I've done ones to uh, Kuwait, Qatar, Lebanon, which again are technically combat, but they're they're not. I was going to museums and driving around and going to cafes and stuff like that. So <laughs> I don't consider. I mean, according to my military record, the combat. According to Evan, like no, I don't. I wouldn't really count that. Gotcha. Yeah, twelve month to Iraq, fourteen month to Iraq, six months to Iraq. Back to back to sports, right? Let's get back into sports. So next chapters, chapter six, strength and speed is called. It's all about kind of my foray into the very bizarre world of bodybuilding. <laughs> oh, this is good. This is not as good as that that little apple of a bicep you've got going on there, though. Holy cow! Yeah, I look I look really good in that picture. On a side that note, that is an incredibly good picture. If you guys haven't read the book, just just take it so that you can. <laughs> Pick it up so you can take a look at that. Don't show it to your wives if you're a, if you have a wife. <laughs> if you're a dude, it's okay if you feel something. <laughs> you, you ever see the Family Guy where Stewie's like, everyone loves a vascular man? No. Oh, I always say that. I always say that quote to my wife <laughs> when you can see my veins, and my wife is like, "No, they don't. That's disgusting." And I was like, "Are you serious?" That's true. My wife likes my physique the most before she met me when I was in college and was powerlifting. Huh. Interesting. Like when I was competing in powerlifting, uh, she she likes those photos because I weighed like like two thirty, uh, but like I'm, I mean I had decent totals. Um, yeah, she, she liked that, and I had a big beard, whatever. So that's what she was in. That's what she's into. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, she her she's wrong, but you know, <laughs> it's convenient because she made me a lot of cookies. Yeah, that is good. You really really were dieted down there though. Yeah, like 153. Yeah, so I actually don't weigh that much more now, uh, but my I, I carry more fat now, and um, I was a lot. Where? I like in a bag? I, like. <laughs> so what's weird about bodybuilding is you can once you hit a certain level of you know body fat percentage, to then like from that point on everything else is a step backwards, <laughs> right? So it's really easy, especially not to be sexist, but especially on the female side, you can get into uh, severe. Uh, eating disorders from physique-based competitions. Yeah. And even as a male, right? Like, I mean, as I would, you know, I'd put on, I'd go from 153 to 156, and I'd be like, ah, oh, so fat now. And I'd be like, what are we talking about? You know, like, <laughs> you still see veins everywhere. Um, but when yeah. w- when you're dieted down, right? I mean, I could see, I'd see a couple of veins prominently in the lower part of my abs. And then I had like one or two that you could see sometimes that would run up through my my abdo- my ab muscles. Right, like that's how yeah. lean, that's how lean you get. That's what Charles Poliquin says. He's like, uh, not not to be crude, but I mean, he says like if you are not allowed to relax on your diet. To, he trains Olympic athletes. He says you're you're not allowed to relax on your diet until you have penis skin across your abs. Like it needs to be that. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be that's that vascular. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And the other one is the the striated glutes, right? So that's right. That's where I was going. <laughs> Yeah, so I always make striated. I never got to the point where I had striated glutes. I always make jokes about that. My wife's like, "That's that's gross. That's not funny." So. Is that even possible as a as a drug free? Because because you you competed completely naturally. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. But you, you, I mean, you got to be really lean, and you got to have a lot of training under your belt um, to get to that point, right? Like you can't do a couple of years of bodybuilding, come in with striated glutes at a show. Yeah. My understanding, right? Um, I I, only did, I did bodybuilding for a couple of years. Uh, probably four. My first show, I think, was 2010. 
And then my last show was 2014. So about four years. It's, it's never a, got striated glutes. Never got striated glutes. Well, you know. I, and I, honestly, the first couple of competitions, I completely bumbled my way through, right? Like just, I like to figure things out on my own. Uh, then, I, <laughs> then I can understand why I'm doing something as opposed to just listening to a coach. Right, like right. The, fail upwards. Oh yeah, the the cheaper solution and the quicker solution is to just hire a coach and have him tell you exactly what to do. Uh, I just read books and kind of figured it out on the fly. And kind of what what really I'd say took me to the next level or took me to a, what I think it was a in a, a good level was a documentary called Raising the Bar. And they've actually got I think four of them. And they're interviewing this bodybuilder and he's like, he's like, listen, there's foods that work and there's foods that don't work. Here are the foods that work. And he lists like five or six foods. Right, like egg whites, chicken, fish, sweet potato, broccoli, you know, green beans or whatever, and some nuts. And he's like, that's it. He's like, don't, don't try to eat anything else. Just eat those. <laughs> right. And it was, it like turned on a light bulb in my brain. And I was like, yeah, like instead of like you go to GNC and they're, they're trying to sell you this cookie that's, oh, this is pretty good for you. It's only got, you know, give looking to give me, give me all the macros, like just throw it, you know, right. Here's the foods that work. That's what you eat. Everything else is in the non-eat pile. And it was, it, was, it was easier for me because I could just be like, this is acceptable food. This is not acceptable food. Begin. Uh, versus trying to you know, be a little more flexible. And, and that's for show competing. Um, for long-term lifestyle, it may be different, right? There's a difference there. But for show right. competing, I think, again, I, I, I'm on board with him, right? There's foods that work and foods that don't work. You find the foods that work, and that's literally all you eat every meal for eight to 16 weeks, and you show up on stage, get some pictures, and then try not to pig out afterwards because uh, you can severely put on a lot of weight in a couple of days as you yeah. loosen the reins. Is that how you would, uh, you would talk about like getting ready for any sort of competition is using those, those foods? Yeah, I mean, I still... I wouldn't say I, I only eat that stuff, but I still primarily eat a lot of bodybuilding type foods. I eat a lot more. The big, the big difference is I do a lot more carbs now because you need them for running. Uh, but I still, you know, egg whites, Ezekiel toast, and almond butter every morning for breakfast. I still primarily eat chicken for lunch and some sort of vegetable. And then, Do you uh, time your carbs? I mean, I, I eat more carbs around training, so right before or right after training. And then casein protein shake at night. So. You got to have that, that little on knot of, of dairy protein sitting in your stomach while you sleep. Right. I sleep better with it. Really? I lose it. Sometimes I wake up hungry. If I, especially if I've been training a lot and I don't have a, if I don't have a protein shake before I go to bed, I'll wake up hungry in the middle of the night. Ah. So. Wow. Okay. That's fun. I, I don't have any problem with that. I, I just live in a constant state of hungry <laughs> no matter what I do. <laughs> so that's the kind of the other interesting thing is it's, when I'm, um, you know, a lot of people try to lose weight. They're like, well, I'm going to do a lot of running and do a lot of cardio. I think it's harder to maintain a healthy diet when you're doing a lot of running, right? Because it's upregulating your desire for food all the time. Yeah. Uh, versus if you do a little bit of cardio and mostly strength training, the desire for sweets is not really there as much because I'm not, you know, I didn't just go for a run that burns 500 calories or 1,000 yeah. calories. Um, I think it's a lot easier to actually keep a – lean diet and a lower body fat physique with a, uh, you know, little, little to no uh, cardio training. Absolutely. That's a different way of thinking, saying that I am now eating out of utility. I'm fueling my body as opposed to I'm eating for pleasure. Yeah. How long does it take to switch that? It, it probably depends on each person, but it's a, sl it's a slow process, right? Like in the book, it makes it 
and I think I talk about it in this book. I, it seems like I, I do it overnight, but like, I mean, it took months before, like I didn't want French fries, right? Like, so it's, it's an adjustment. Now I don't, I don't particularly crave them. It's like with anything, right? Whether you're just losing weight for a competition or you're losing weight for just, just because you want to look a little healthier. You know, if it took you 10 years to put, a, put on all this excess weight and now you're trying to lose it, like don't expect to lose it in a month, right? It's going to take you a couple of years to, to reverse back down. Like people get obsessed with like, oh, I need to do it now versus like, oh, small adjustments that stick longer will have a better result. Right. You talk about actually that getting to set, uh, to a point where you have to, you find in your bodybuilding career that you have to commit more to bulking because uh, putting on a few pounds seems inconscionable or something. Yeah. Yeah. You get into this like, I got to stay lean all the time mindset. But if you want to get, if you really want to build some new muscle, right, you need to be in a caloric surplus. Yeah, I went through this four-month military training course, and I bulked for all four months, and I got up to 180, 182, which is a lot Whoa. for me. Yeah, I want to see 180, Evan. And like, oh, my clothes were tight. I, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> my pants were all tight. But I could, you know, you could still make out the general outline of my abs. It was, um, but the yeah, I bulked uh, up. You're talking about your pants being tight. I was wondering what general outline you could make out. Yeah. <laughs> terrible so terrible <laughs> but your glutes man so uh, similar story so similar story about that um me and my friend used to dress up like cupid for 5ks on valentine's day <laughs> both at, of you yeah both of us um in nashville as cupid run right and we used to wear you know what ranger panties are right no you don't know what ranger panties are they're like the really short really short silky shorts that like you see on softly, sometimes you see them on CrossFit, at, CrossFit athletes. They're really oh. short. Oh, okay. All right. silk, sometimes they, people call them silkies. Anyway, okay. that's what we would wear to the, this 5K <laughs> race. We wear these little silkies, right? The Ranger panties, you call them. And we, we purposely buy shirts that are like two sizes too small. And we'd have Cupid wings and a bow and arrow. And me and my friend would show up to this 5K and we'd run as hard as we could, right? Like, I'm running a six minute mile with Cupid wings and a bow. And there are people there trying to win and run seriously. And I'm like, I'm passing them and they're getting very upset. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then we'd go out in town afterwards. We'd go to like bar hopping. And my wife went F would come along and take pictures and she'd kind of follow us around. You know, after one of them, she's like, you're not allowed to wear those shorts anymore. I'm like, why not? She's like, I can literally see the outline. I can see everything. <laughs> like, I can make out details. And I was like, all right, fine. Because, you know, I'd worn them so much and they'd gotten wear down so much, like, they were thinner than they were supposed to be. <laughs> but that was, we had a lot of funny, people would be pinching you and coming up and taking pictures of you. And uh, it, was a, it was always a fun night. I think we did it two or three times. Evan prepares the exhibitionist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife was there the whole time. You know, there's some some girls grabbing me, and she's like, "My wife's like, give me your dirty looks." <laughs> like, eh. yeah. hey, I don't know about you, but I'm living my best life over here. <laughs> so it was just one night. So she was fine. This is was... random, but I hate being pinched. I don't care who it is. I, I have an immediate anger. I mean, it's not it's not pleasurable. It's just uh, no. I mean, again, they're pinching a chunk of your skin. Yeah, it's just, it's it's just a weird. I don't enjoy the sensation of a pinch. I don't know. <laughs> Some people are like, oh, pinch me, baby. No, please don't. I'd rather you slapped me. I could laugh at a slap, but a pinch? No, good that's war. It's good to know, I guess. Or, or maybe too uh, much Maybe I shouldn't have told you that. Maybe it's too much information. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like if, moving on. 
right. Any other final thoughts on uh, bodybuilding? Oh, bodybuilding. Man, there are not enough photos of you. Where can people <laughs> find photos of uh, bodybuilding Evan? Honestly, just, just, just message me and I'll send some over. There are, there are <laughs> whoa, some, whoa. there are some online, um, but they, it's like when you Google someone's 5k time and it's like, oh, well, here's a 5k time from five years ago. And it's like, well, no, no, I'm better than that. So like, there are some online. I don't think those are my best pictures, right? Like my best pictures, uh, I think I have on, I think I have a couple on my website in teamstrengthspeed.com. If you go to like the uh, founder tab and click through the links at the, the links at the bottom, the last page has some of my bodybuilding pictures. And then I think I still have a Facebook profile, like an athlete page called the fastest bodybuilder. Um, I think some of my pictures yeah. are still on there. So again, um, that was me just trying to find a, find a little niche there. Right. For the so, branding journey. Yeah. It's a branding thing. Right. So you're, I was doing bodybuilding at the time and at the same, you know, I could run a, sub three hour marathon right so that's fairly unique blend of athleticism right you talk about that going from one thing to another thing like bodybuilding to the marathons and you haven't even discovered ocr yet right yeah i just wasn't very good at anything <laughs> so i was kind of bouncing <laughs> back and forth and uh, i started getting better in each of them and basically it's you know it's, it's periodized training i'm focusing on one thing i'm building a lot of strength in there whether it's speed or endurance or uh, strength. And then I'm switching, switching some, to something else, but I'm keeping the other, I'm still running a little bit, but just not as much. I'm still lifting, but, you know, um, significantly more. And then, you know, vice versa for during run training. And it, it allowed me to keep a lot of the uh, strength and also build endurance, which is kind of what you need for the military. So I just had this right. really, really weird blend. I didn't know it at the time, but I, I'd been training for obstacle course racing for like a decade going into it. I just, I just had no idea. I didn't even heard of the sport. So, do you think that like kind of the lack of of sort of committing to one of those sports was was probably why it took you so long, like in your athletic journey, to find the thing that you were good at? Because like you talk about like three month cycles of doing these different things. Did you ever feel like I just I don't know why I'm doing this, but I enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. That's why I did it. I never thought I would get into a sport where I would get sponsors and win prize money and get to go to the other side of the world to race. I've gotten, I've gotten so much out of the sport. It's, it seems, it seems ridiculous that I never in my wildest dreams thought I would get a lot of the benefits I've received over the last five years. Yeah. I was just doing it cause I enjoy, I enjoy pushing myself. I enjoy training for different things. I liked endurance running. Uh, I liked bodybuilding. It was fun and uh, happened to work well when I found obstacle course racing. Right. And then I think you combine the, um, the kind of the mental attitude uh, from the military, especially with when it comes to ultra OCR, which involves, right, when you get the world's toughest mudder, it involves not quitting and uh, working through problems, complex problems. I mean, it just matched really perfectly. Right. How much of that is mental? Like talking about doing, uh, maybe we're jumping ahead, but like talking about doing an OCR race, like real quick aside, how much is mental and how much is physical? The longer the race, the more mental. I'll say that. I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the ratio is, but you know, you can, you can suck it up for 15, 20, 40 minutes um, for like a, a 5k OCR and, and really, really, you know, really rely on your, your physical prowess. Um, especially if you're running and you're, you've already gapped a lot of the field. When you get into the ultra stuff, I mean, your mind's got to be in the right place. And if your mind's not in the right place, you'll, things will start falling apart real quickly. 
your body will always give your mind a reason to quit, right? Like it will always, something will always hurt. Something will always chafe. There'll always be some problem. Your mind will try to justify why you should quit. Oh, you, you're going to hurt yourself. You've got another race coming up in a month. Uh, you've done enough, blah, 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 right? You'll always try to justify it to yourself to make the pain stop. Yeah. Leave it on the table. Yeah. Leave it all out there, I guess. Yeah. Leave it on the table? No. Yeah. Leave it on the course. Don't worry about uh, whether or not you've got a half marathon the next day. That's right. <laughs> well, one of my friends who read the book was he's like, oh, well, he's like, you were doing this, you know, again, jumping ahead, some, some of like these stupid challenges. Um, like I've, I was doing a lot of stupid challenges for years before <laughs> I found OCR, right? Like two marathons in two days, I had done that. We did that about the marathon and half marathon. You know, I, I'd been challenging myself all along. It's just OCR finally good enough where like it actually gave me a stage or something that I could use to raise money for some charities that I care about. So right. Even probably when I stop doing OCR stuff, I'll probably, I'll probably continue this in some form or fashion, right? Because it's kind of like part of who I am at this point. We'll see. We will see. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Oh, we, we will see. <laughs> and, that, and that continues as well. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know when this comes out. Like you may have to cut this out, but like how close uh, will this come out to, when, to your, your next big challenge that has something to do with something we've already talked about? Yeah, um, this will come out probably a, a week or two before it, so it should be public by then. Oh, awesome! Yeah. So you're not you're not slowing down on those crazy challenges. No, I do. I mean, I've been doing one a year for the last uh, couple of years, so I've got about two more ideas left. This one and one more, and then I think I'm out of ultra OCR ideas. I have some other. Don't worry. Like I said, I have some other endurance feats. Um, a different charity I want to work with and kind of a different uh, taking two worlds and kind of smashing them together, like the fitness world and some other part of the world that's not really fitness oriented. And I just want to smash those together and expose them to each other, raise money for a different charity. Expose them like a, like a Cupid running past you at a race. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to really exposed out there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was bodybuilding. It's weird. Uh, You spend a lot of time on stage, almost naked. People cheer at you, and uh, <laughs> or don't, or don't. No, people cheer. They're they're friendly, even if <laughs> even if you look like garbage, and uh, you get spray painted essentially black or dark brown by a stranger. You're naked when that okay. happens. <laughs> okay, yeah. Do you have to spread for it? Oh yeah. You don't want lines, you want, Bobby. You want to show right. up on, with lines on your tape there? How dare you? It's it is a weird weird world. Um, yeah, it is very weird. I imagine that, that that you have to have a lot of mental sort of uh, like just toughness to do something like that. Yeah, like you talk about like a lot of the a lot of the events that you did, like especially early on, uh, you would win because nobody else was there, and you still yeah. counted that as a win because it was just <laughs> such an ordeal to do it at all. Right. Yeah, it takes a lot of effort and time and energy to get ready for a show. So the fact that you show up and no one else does means that no one else is ready. Is kind of the way it goes and i had i had a an ifbb pro in the book i was like oh i won i was like yeah but no one else was here and he's like still counts dude and i was like oh okay so all right that was it was kind of nice to have a professional you know big name bodybuilder who'd been on the olympia stage kind of say that to you that was um that was really nice of him and what's kind of what other kind of funny thing is you know most bodybuilders i feel like there's a stereotypical view that they're like 
meatheads and they're mean and they're bullies, right? Because they're the big guy. But like when you get to like bodybuilding, like competing, a lot of those dudes were actually super nice. They were, a lot of them are very introverted, right? Because if you, if you want to live this lifestyle, you need to be willing to like not socialize and just eat the same meals all the time and spend all your time in the gym. Or um, sleep. Or sleep, right? Like, yeah, it's a very introverted lifestyle. And a lot of them are, are kind of shy and um, who knows why they're doing it. Some of them I'm sure have background issues that they're dealing with and other ones just, it's just something they personally want to do. It's not the, it's not the culture you'd expect, especially the higher, the higher up you go. So I think that a lot of us have like an idea of bodybuilding or at least the professional bodybuilding community that came from pumping iron. Uh, Yeah. That movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which a lot of people don't realize was satire. Yeah, it was a, a it was a docudrama, they call it, right? So half documentary, <laughs> half uh, scripted drama. So not much different than reality TV. Yeah. I remember some, like reading about some of the stories uh, and how they were just, just goofing off. And I was like, man, like it was a great thing for a sport that hadn't yet been, I, I guess, popularized. Like that, that was kind of what like shot it up and, and brought it in front of the world stage in front of everybody's eyes. But like it was also kind of like the theatricality was lost on a lot of people. Like yes. that was an important film, not just because of what it did for that sport, but because there weren't a lot of films like that that people were, were used to seeing. They actually came out with Pumping Iron 2, The Women. Uh, not nearly as good. I see it. I it, didn't even know it existed until I, just now. I own it on VHS, and I have a VHS player at the house. So We were watching that, and like, as soon as I come back up there. The opening scene is like a shower scene. It's like... Yes! It's, it's super weird. You're like... Is this? What am I watching? Is this? Is this a fitness movie? <laughs> so it, it's it's uh it's unique. And then they came out with uh, Generation Iron a couple of years ago, which is kind of like their attempt at kind of doing a pumping iron, but for the modern generation. Oh man, is that the one with Kai Green and uh... Phil Heath? Yes. Yeah, yeah I saw it. it yeah, so that that's beach. a good one. And they came out with Generation Iron two and three, and uh, that that media company. Uh, Vlad Entertainment or something. Uh, it's a whole bunch of bodybuilding physique based fitness movies that are actually they're actually really good. And the if you look on the back cover of Generation Iron in the original, there's a picture of Branch Warren sitting at a gym, Metroflex gym in Arlington, Texas, which is Ronnie Coleman's gym. And if you look above his left shoulder, you can see the words ODA and then a, a number. That's my team number that I tagged the wall with when I was at Metroflex. Oh no way! Uh, I have that at my house too. You can I can show you. But yeah, you guys have no idea how much cool stuff uh, Evan has in his house. Like, dude, you you can't stop. You can't get injured and quit. You got to go another 30 more years because you have a museum. (laughs) You're going to have you're going to be able to like put up a museum about OCR and like like all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's going to be awesome. I'll go. I'll pay. I'll pay five dollars for that ticket. Nice. Don't charge 15. Okay. (laughs) Unless inflation allows for it. Okay. That seems fair. (laughs) That was when you started strength and speed. Basically, you know, I'm looking for other athletes like myself who are running and strength training and I can't find them, right? Like I'm looking on social media sites and, you know, I think it was MySpace at the time or whatever, or I guess Facebook was around, right? And I was looking at, you know, Googling things and I couldn't find anything. And I was like, well, if I can't find something, I'll just create my own. And that's what I ended up doing. Um, And that's why we're kind of strength and speed started. I was just looking for a place where people who were like me, who we could, you know, motivate each other and hang out and talk. 
over time, it, it generally follows whatever I'm interested in. So it used to be a lot more bodybuilding focused and endurance running focused. And now it's almost all OCR focused. Yeah. I was just looking, right. just looking for some, some friends, some friends. It's lonely, lonely over here. Wait, so did you basically create a message board for athletes in the beginning? Like, because you, I mean, like you do have the ranking system and, and that stuff, but otherwise all you really had were a few wins. Uh, strength and speed kind of just like started off just like a uh, kind of rock and roll. The thing is you don't see a lot of the failures, right? So like I'll try something and it won't work. No one signs up and I'm like, all right, that was a bad idea. <laughs> and then I just give right. up. Yeah. I scrap that and switch to something else, you know? So what you're seeing now is fairly refined product. And I think they call that pivoting in Silicon Valley. Mm. You pivoted, you didn't give up. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what we have now is essentially a Facebook group and then obviously a podcast and a, you know, I write books and, um, do some other stuff, some charity events. So it's just kind of an amalgamation of as I'm interested in something, I just kind of tack it on to strength and speed. And, you know, I'd been, I got tired of like representing, all right, if I go to a running race, I got to represent, I represent my local running club. If I go to a bodybuilding show, I represent um, nothing because I, I don't have, I don't have anything that you have represent, right? So I got tired of like, I got tired of switching and I was like, I just want one thing I can represent and just, as I switch sports, because I wasn't planning on staying with anything, like as I switch sports, I'll just continue to represent the same thing, and that's that's kind of where strength and speed came from. So, yeah, absolutely. And and you you talk about a website and apparel sales, uh, thinking that your friends were going to uh, to buy stuff, and they didn't. No Was one. As far as you went <laughs> with the apparel sales in the beginning, like, I mean, oh, well, maybe my friends will buy something. No, I mean, well, you know, I've advertised and I have it, it's up on the website, but like that, it sells so little, it's just a waste of time and money. It was cool to get some shirts out there. Overall, a big loss. That's definitely a loss. I've made up for it with some other products and some of the books and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just like when your friend at high school has a band and he has a CD and he's like, hey, dude, buy my CD. And like, no one buys a CD, even though like everyone's friends with them. It's like the same thing. <laughs> So I've you know, got two tubs of, of old uh, band t-shirts at my parents' place. That nice. Nice. <laughs> no. A lot of my friends aren't on social media that I went to high school with. They, I mean, they are, but they don't like, they're not regularly, they don't interact. Right? Like if I want to show my friends something I've been doing or tell them something, I, I text them still. I don't, right. they don't Just find like out me. about it on social media. Yeah. Awesome. Because you started, you started with an idea that you wanted to be anything and so you just kind of let that grow with you like like the representation of your journey is actually like kind of online if you go in the wayback machine i'll bet we could still find some of those uh those original t-shirts yeah there's still i still have a couple left not many no i gave way. i gave away most of them i sold a couple gave away most of them but yeah yeah i mean the the oh, black the black team strength and speed one and the gray one that's on the website still i think there's still like one or two left that's that's from the original batch of shirts there. I'm I'm getting on and buying one right now. <laughs> Strengthandspeed.com, right? Teamstrengthspeed.com. Teamstrengthspeed.com. That's yeah. right. You hear that, podcast audience? All right, so that kind of wraps it up with some of the bodybuilding and some of the other um, multi-sport stuff we were doing, and also with the special operations. And, you know, next time we come back, we're going to start getting into the actual obstacle course racing uh, portion of the book, uh, which to me, some of the, some of the entrance into elite obstacle course racing, I just think is, especially when I go back and read through it in hindsight, I think, it, I think it's funny, uh, just the mindset and attitude I had going in compared to kind of the way things are now. 
Well, it's funny, but if, if you actually want to be good at something like OCR, then it definitely helps to study how the people who are at the top got there. Yeah. Like you, like you can't, it never just like starts at the first big win. It always started way before that. And so like understanding the, the training background of the people who like ended up in like, you know, the top tier is, I think that's endlessly fascinating, not just narratively, but like for trying to figure out how to structure a good training program. And then on top of that, you know, because I had done triathlon and marathon running and then bodybuilding, I had been exposed to a lot of other different sports and kind of saw what works and what was successful. And I, you know, I still use that. I carry a lot of those lessons over to the obstacle course racing world, uh, both in my writing and, you know, how to be successful in, in, in sports, right? Because if you, even if in the bodybuilding world, if you look at some of the biggest bodybuilders, you know, the ones who are making the most money and doing, uh, getting the most exposure, were not necessarily the best ones, right? I mean, they were, they were near the top, but they weren't. Right. Right. Like Jay Cutler, I'm pretty sure made more money than Ronnie Coleman, even though Ronnie Coleman won, you know, several more Olympias than him. Because Jay Cutler yeah. was better at marketing. We all know about Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Coleman, but Jay Cutler was infinitely more interesting. And here, another one, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger won, I think, six Olympias, but Ronnie Coleman won eight, and uh, Lee Haney won eight, and Doran Yates, I can't remember. But the, the point is, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the most successful, guys. right? But like, it's leaps and bounds, even though he wasn't the best bodybuilder of all time. So, Right. A lot of lessons you can pull from that. All right, I think that about wraps it up. Tune in next time for Chapter 7 and 8 and the beginning of Evan's OCR career. It's going to be great. We've got a lot more failures to come, and some of them are even more embarrassing than some of the ones we went over tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but they come with, with successes as well. Much larger successes and more numerous than the failures. Kind of less fun for me to talk about. Yeah, I was just like, like narrow, like I like zone directly into like any sort of failure. I just really want to pick that apart because it makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. I know me and Bobby have been having a great time. I hope you come back next week or the week after whenever I publish the next episode. Listen to that. <laughs> pick up a copy of Ultra OCR Man from Special Force Soldier to Record Setting Professional Obstacle Course Raider Racer. You can pick it up off. <laughs> yeah, you can pick it up off. Amazon or off our website, teamstrengthspeed.com, or you can buy it on Audible and just listen to it. I think that's about it. Share, like, comment, all this good stuff. We'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. See y'all later.